to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Today it's a joy to have World Communion Sunday to celebrate the unity we have in Jesus Christ, not just here at RPC, but around the world. And so Christians around the world celebrate that we come do that very concretely and celebrate that here today. We continue our sermon series, Roots to Roots, looking at the creeds and confessions of our faith. And I'll be honest, somebody just reminded me of this. So <laughs> I was golfing with a fellow Presbyterian minister, you know, a couple months ago. And they said, what are you going to be preaching on this fall? I said, well, I got this great series on the creeds and catechisms and confessions of the Presbyterian Church USA. In his face, like you would have just thought I hit him with a golf ball. He he goes, well, he goes, let me know how far uh, church membership declines after that. <laughs> he goes, that sounds about the most boring thing possible. I hope this has not been boring, that this is inspiring to you. We've looked at the early church. How would the early church confess its faith? Thousands of years ago, we looked at the Reformation era. We've looked at these great catechisms. What do we believe? And now we're looking in the modern era. We looked at the confessing church last Sunday. We looked as they confessed their faith in the face of Hitler and the Nazis. What do we believe in the 1930s? And today we looked at the confession of 1967. It is our church tradition here in America declared its faith, that kind of the redemption of all things. It built this confession on one verse from Holy Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. It is my favorite verse in the Bible. And here's why. Listen, listen to this. If this doesn't blow your hair back, I don't know what will. All right, listen for the Word of God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, your sight, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. I love the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon that showed Calvin in school. And the teacher said, if there are no more questions, we'll move on to the next chapter. Calvin raised his hand and says, I have a question. The teacher said, certainly, Calvin, what is it? He said, what's the point of human existence? She responded, I meant any questions about the subject at hand. He was kind of dejected and said, oh, frankly, I'd like to have the issue resolved before I expend any more energy on this. <laughs> I can identify with Calvin's reasoning. If I'm going to expend so much energy in life, I'd like to know what the point is. If you're an engineer, what's the point of getting all of your calculations right? If you're a teacher, what's the point of putting up with those misbehaving students? If you're in sales, what's the point of acquiring more customers? If you do anything at all, what's the point? 
The Confession of 1967 answers that question. Listen to this. God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ embraces the whole of human life. Social and cultural, economic and political, scientific and technological, individual and corporate. This means whatever you do, whether it's parenting or painting, it's designing software or selling hardware, if it's public service or private enterprise, whatever you do, you are invited to participate in the redeeming, reconciling work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ embraces the whole of human life. The question becomes, will we embrace back? Do you see your life participating in the redeeming, reconciling work of Jesus Christ? When you wash the dishes, do you do it unto the Lord? When chaperoning your kid's field trip, do you participate in the redeeming work of Christ? When you're hiking on the banks of the Chattahoochee River, can participate in the redeeming work Christ, God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ embraces the whole of human life. This is why in our scripture passage today, the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When Paul refers to the world, that word in Greek is cosmos. It's where we get the word cosmos. It's the word that is the most expansive, largest, most encapsulating work in Greek that was afforded to him. And he uses it. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world, the cosmos, to himself. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. If God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, then why is there still so much evil, suffering, and woe? in our lives. It's because there's really a theological paradox here. The paradox is that God acted decisively in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. The work's been done. It's accomplished. He had victory. But even though it's already occurred, the implications of Christ's victory are still being worked out in history, and we are invited to participate in that. We are invited into the already and not yet of the Christian gospel, the good news. See, God has won the war on our behalf, but now we are supposed to be letting the world know in both word and deed of Christ's victory, participating in the redeeming, reconciling work of Jesus Christ. It's news. It's good news. What people need to have it shared with them. It reminds me of the story of Hiru Inoda. Hiru Inoda had received special training as a Japanese Imperial Army intelligence officer. In 1944, he was sent to the Philippine island of Lubang to engage and resist the enemy. At the time, he was 20 years old. Six months later, Japan surrendered in the war. Hiro heard the news, but assumed it was propaganda and he remained hiding on the island. For the next 29 years, Hiro Inoda refused to believe the war was over. And so from time to time, he would carry out raids and terrorize that little Filipino island. 
Over those 29 years, he killed 30 people, injured over 100 others. He would occasionally burn down fields and crops. When Anoda's secret camp was finally discovered, they sent Major Tanaguchi to take him the message. Major Tanaguchi had been his commander 29 years earlier. And so he takes the message to Hiro and says, the war is over. And Anoda was stunned. He said, what have I been doing all these years? He reflected on that time. Suddenly everything went black. A storm raged inside of me. I felt like a fool. Gradually, though, the storm subsided. I pulled back the bolt of my rifle and unloaded the bullets. I eased off the pack that I always carried with me and laid the gun on top of it. Just like Anoda, we are here to announce the good news that the war is over. Lay down your arms. We don't need to fight anymore. The war is over. Your sins are forgiven. You've been reconciled to God. God is for you. That's the core message of the Apostle Paul. Whatever you do, see yourself as participating in the redeeming, reconciling work of God accomplished and achieved in Jesus Christ. The war is over. Now we need to live into that reality. As I may have mentioned to you, I was not raised Presbyterian. I chose to be a Presbyterian, or I might say I was selected. That's a little Presbyterian joke for you. And one of the reasons that it drew me to being a Presbyterian was this central conviction that in Jesus Christ, God has reconciled all things to God's self. And now that meant everything is sacred. All things are spiritual because the cosmos have been reconciled to God. There wasn't this part of my life that was the religious part and then the non-religious part. Or over here was the sacred part of life, and then here was the, the mundane, secular part of life. No, God had redeemed all things. So God cared just as much about what I did Monday through Saturday as what I did on Sunday. I didn't need to be a pastor or preacher or some minister to do God's work. I was called to it wherever I went to participate in the redeeming, reconciling work of God. That's why I love the words from the Kentucky for farmer, poet, and writer, Wendell Berry. It's in his poem, How to Be a Poet. He says, there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. That means wherever you go, you are walking on holy ground. This is done in all of life. Okay, I want to offer you two illustrations, two examples from very different ends of the spectrum. One is set in 1970s New York City. The other is set in rural Roanoke, Virginia. One is set in kind of the earthy, ugly side of human life, and one is in kind of the idyllic view of nature. But I think they state the same truth about our lives. The first is Martin Scorsese's movie, Mean Streets. Came out in 1973. It was his third movie, but I think it was probably his first movie when he was a, kind of a fully formed director. The movie stars a young Robert De Niro and Harvey Keitel. It's set in Little Italy in New York City. 
It's about Harvey Keitel as a young man. He's been raised in the mob, the mafia in New York City. But he's also a Christian. It's about his Catholic faith and the contradiction between the two and how he's wrestling with them about what he does in church and what he does out on the streets. It might be helpful to know that it's semi-autobiographic. A lot of people don't know this, but Scorsese, before he ever went to film school, seriously considered going to seminary and becoming a, a priest. So his movies really wrestle with a lot of theological questions. He's often very concerned about sin and the possibility of redemption. And one of the reasons I love Mean Streets is because it's got the best opening. Now, if you ever go see it in a theater, you have to get there on time because it's the very beginning. You'll miss it. But it starts with a black screen. Okay, black screen. And then you hear a voiceover. And it's the writer and director, Martin Scorsese, speaking these words before the movie begins. He says this, you don't make up for your sins in church. You do it in the streets. You do it at home. The rest is BS and you know it. And then the movie flashes on and the Ronettes' Be My Baby comes on. It's awesome. And Harvey Keitel rolls out of bed. And the rest of the movie is about him wrestling with his Christian faith, what he does in church, and what happens on the mean streets of New York City. Because Scorsese says, what he does out on the streets matters just as much as what happens in church. What you do on the streets, what you do in your home, God cares about that. I'll be honest with you, some days I roll out of bed, I hear the Runettes saying, be my baby, and I just think like, am I, what am I going to do on the mean streets of Roswell this week? Am I going to live my faith out or am I just going to keep it trapped in church? No. Want to participate in the redeeming, reconciling work of God, not just in church, but out on the streets. The second example comes from 1974. Annie Dillard's book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, which won the Pulitzer Prize the next year for nonfiction. It's a collection of observations that she wrote in her journal. It's about her looking out at nature and experiencing the divine, God's presence. And she's trying to highlight it for people so that they can see it in all of life. She begins with a quote from the Trappist monk Thomas Merton from Kentucky, a spiritual writer, and then she comments on it. She's trying to encourage her readers to live a full, abundant life. Listen to this. Thomas Merton wrote, there is always a temptation to diddle around in the contemplative life, making itsy-bitsy statues. There is always an enormous temptation in all of life to diddle around making itsy-bitsy friends, meals, and journeys for itsy-bitsy years on end. It is so self-conscious, so apparently moral, simply to step aside from the gaps where the creeks and winds pour down, saying, I never merited this grace, quite rightly, and then to sulk along the rest of your days on the edge of rage. I won't have it, she says. The world is wilder than that in all directions, more dangerous and bitter, more extravagant and bright. We are making hay when we should be making whoopee. We are raising tomatoes when we should be raising Cain or Lazarus. She's asking, are you living an itsy-bitsy life? Or are you following God's great call to participate in the redemption and reconciling work of all things? 
Are you experiencing the excitement of the divine presence in your life? Are you paying attention to God all around us when you take a walk through the woods, when you're by the creek? Are you participating in the reconciliation of all things in Jesus Christ? Paul says that is our central mission. That is what we are to be about. Listen to this. I'm going to read the whole paragraph. Paul writes, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this ministry of reconciliation is concrete, it's earthy, it's lived out in friendships. The reunification of families happens in church. See, for many critics of religion, they see religion as kind of a fracturing force in our world. They see it leading to dissension and eventually violence. But this is not always the case. Roswell Presbyterian Church is a part of the Presbyterian Church USA. But it can only be a member of the Presbyterian Church USA because of the culmination of the reconciling work that went on that culminated in 1983. You see, because of the Civil War, there were two large denominations, Presbyterian denominations, that churches could be members of. The United Presbyterian Church in the United States of America and the Presbyterian Church in the United States. And these two grand denominations reunified, came back together, reconciled to each other in 1983 and founded the Presbyterian Church USA. And one of the things that was fundamental to that reconciliation, to that reunification, was they wrote a statement of faith that we could all agree on. It's called a brief statement of faith. And before, before they get to the statement of faith, though, they have a preface. And in the preface, they explain what brought them together, how they were able to come together and find unity amidst their diversity. Listen to this. The faith we confess unites us with the one universal church. The most important beliefs of Presbyterians are those we share with other Christians, but diversity remains. We are thankful that in our time, the many churches are learning to accept and even to affirm diversity without divisiveness, since the whole counsel of God is more than the wisdom of any individual or any one tradition. The spirit of truth gives new light to the churches when they are willing to become pupils together of the word of God. I love that. Diversity without divisiveness, as long as we can come together as pupils to the word of God, learning to discern. And that might be on the mean streets of Roswell. It also might be down on the shores of the Chattahoochee River. Wherever we are, we are pupils of God's word, light and alive in the world. Wherever we are, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago that is now working out its implications and being shared in word and deed in our lives. That's what we're about. And so when Calvin asks, what's the point of human existence? Sharing the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is what we're called to. We're called to it in here, we're called to it out there too. Let's pray. 
Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great ministry we are called to. We pray that we might have the courage, the faith, the hope, the love to follow you, to proclaim it in both word and deed. Amidst our diversity, finding our unity. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.